Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 415 of the podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I'm so glad to have Dave Ferguson back on the podcast today. I'll tell you more about Dave in a moment, but I also want to thank our partners for bringing this to you absolutely free. You should check them out. Have you checked out ProMediaFire? You can book your free digital consultation today at ProMediaFire.com forward slash growth and by ServeHQ. Go to ServeHQ.church to sign up for your free 14-day trial and use code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, to get 10% off for life. Well, we are talking about the future, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. And uh, Dave is a pioneer of that. We are going to talk about the future of church, but I know there's a lot of business leaders listening and people who don't go to church. And I think often the church is a harbinger, (laughs) kind of the past and of the future. Uh, We're a little bit behind on many, many things. And uh, I say that as somebody who's very involved in the church. And we're trying to figure out what to do. And honestly, a lot of businesses are behind. A lot of organizations are behind. Charities are behind. And so what does the future look like? So Dave and I talk about the future of the microchurch, a metaphor that emerged in the early days of the pandemic last year, red light, green light, yellow light people, and the future of networking. Dave is the lead pastor of Community Christian Church. It's a multi-site church that is very passionate just outside of Chicago. He is an award-winning author of several books, and he provides visionary leadership for the international church planting movement, New Thing, and is chairman of the board and president of the Exponential Conference. He is deeply involved in so many things that are future-related, so that makes it great. And uh, hey, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. We continue to see more and more people joining all the time. And uh, we're really excited to have you here. Sort of the heartbeat behind this podcast, I just want to take you behind the scenes and ask the questions that, I don't know, I think you would ask, I would definitely ask if I was with these people at dinner or lunch. And really my heart for this show, for those of you who are new, is uh, I was doing a lot of speaking on the road a few years ago, and I would have these exceptional conversations over dinner, lunch, breakfast, green rooms. And I would be, I would just walk away going, I wish everybody could hear it. And now, thanks to podcasting, everybody can hear it. So really, really grateful for that. And this is one of those conversations. So question about today's world, which is more important, your physical real estate or your digital real estate? It's a hard question you kind of have to answer, but we do know one thing. Digital is your front door, and these days it drives your growth. And if digital real estate is your biggest driver for growth, let's ask the next question. Have you taken inventory of your website and social media? Because, you know, you might update your paint like every five years or so, but like if you haven't updated your website or your social in a while, eh. No, if it hasn't been updated in a couple of years, it's not driving engagement. It's time to make a change. And I would suggest you call the digital experts at ProMedia Fire. They can help you grow digitally from your website to your social media while you focus on the mission. It's done for you social media development. You can book your free consult today at ProMediaFire.com forward slash growth. And that works for businesses and for churches. ProMediaFire.com forward slash growth. And you'll see an example of some of their work on my feed these days if you follow me on Instagram. Also, ServeHQ has helped over 2,000 churches in the last six years. Churches of all sizes have used them. So here's what they do. They provide a powerful and simple-to-use online training experience 
a new approach to digital messaging, and an automated step-by-step follow-up tool. So imagine having one tool to onboard new volunteers, make sure they're fully ready to serve. And at the same time, you can use that same process for your membership, leadership development, volunteer, team communication, and an online ministry school. Their training library has over 800 video modules with quiz questions ready to go. You can also engage your people with videos, GIFs, images, files, and more to train people effectively in a media-rich online environment. So you can send video messages to individuals or groups or text messages, hold real-time chats. It's all safe. It's all secure. And so it's basically a one unified tool your church needs to engage volunteers, members, and leaders. You can save 10% off for life by using the coupon code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, at servehq.church. That's Carry at servehq.church. You can learn more and start your free 14-day trial today. So, so excited to dive into today's conversation. Here is my chat with Dave Ferguson. Dave Ferguson, good to have you again. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, Gary. It's great to be with you. Oh, it's fantastic to hang out. So, you know, here we are a year and a bit into the crazy world that we now live in and are official citizens. And we're moving into the post-pandemic era fairly rapidly, particularly in the U.S. Uh, I would love to know, let's start here, because every leader has been shaken upside down, backwards, forwards. And what's the impact been on you? I just love picking leaders' brains on that. Like, how has this been for Dave? Dave the human and Dave the leader. Two words come to mind. Uh, Challenging. And this one I don't often say out loud, but we'll go ahead and do this. Um, Invigorating. Okay. Uh, the, the challenging part, there, there's loss like for everybody and maybe mine's not on the same scale, but uh, I got back from Exponential last 2020, yeah, which was actually the last time I was on a plane, which is crazy. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. Uh, so I've been sitting in this chair for a year now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we, my, Sue, and I, Sue and I were headed to, uh, we were in a cab headed to Winston-Salem to go watch my youngest son um, run. Um, in the NCAA D3 Nationals. He's wow. qualified qualified in the 3K. And so it's a big deal. That's a big deal for our family. Oh, yeah. You know? You're all runners. Like you're a runner. Oh, yeah. Your son's a runner. And they've been fortunate. They've done well. So there's a lot, been a lot to celebrate. Those have been highlights. And we're on our way to O'Hare. And my uh, oldest son, my middle child, Josh, he calls Sue and says, hey, I just saw on Twitter that the NCAA has been canceled. And so we're like, what? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. So we called Josh, I mean, called Caleb, my youngest, uh, who's in Winston-Salem, getting ready to run the next day to compete. And we're thinking we're going to call and console him, and he doesn't know. So, you know, Josh finds out via Twitter, Caleb doesn't even know, his coaches didn't know, so we broke the news. And so, you know, you turn around the car, and we come back home, and um, and then the next day was kind of when they called the shelter in place, and then that weekend, we put everything online. And, um, so, I mean, compared to some people's pain, that's, that's nothing, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, there was this, it was started with some real sadness and loss there. And yeah, I look back since then, um, I'd say I've, I have not worked harder. It, I, I have not worked harder in all my years of ministry and I like hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that regard, it's, it's been challenging, but there, but the invigorating part, the invigorating part is, so we planted this church, you know, forever ago. And it was kind of like, all of a sudden it was like, hey, you get, you get to start this thing all over again. 
And it, yeah. I mean, there was, I, you kind of had to hide the smirk. There was a little bit of like, kind of like an adrenaline rush going like, okay, this is, this is, this is awesome. I got permission to do whatever I want here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that part I think was, was actually kind of very exciting. And for us at community, um, we kind of began to adopt the informal slogan where fear sees a crisis, faith sees opportunity. Mm. Uh, well, you know, Steve Stroop. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine, kind of a mentor of mine, uh, down a link. He's the one who, I, I, it was a phone call, and he, he's, he spoke those words. And I was like, all right, I'm grabbing a hold of that. Uh, where fear sees a crisis, faith sees opportunity. And so in all the spaces where I'm providing leadership, we just began to believe that and say, okay, we think there's going to be some real opportunity ahead. And we're, we're determined in the middle of this crisis not to miss it. And so as someone who's kind of entrepreneurial and a, a futurist, uh, that part was that part was invigorating and exciting. How long ago did you plant Community Christian? Uh, 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Okay, yeah. yeah. So this is not, it is your first rodeo, but like yeah. you've been at it a long time. So that leads perfectly into my next question. You know, you're, you, you've worked harder than you ever have in your life. That's sort of been everybody's story if maybe it's starting to stabilize a little bit now. But how, everybody's exhausted. How are you finding the energy to find the opportunity rather than, oh my goodness, I had something that was working and now it's dead and I can't do it anymore. Like I, I'm talking to a lot of leaders who are much younger than you are and haven't been doing this 30 years who are like, I don't know whether I have the energy to reinvent myself. What, can you comment on that? Part of it, honestly, Carrie, feels like a grace because you're right. I mean, there are a lot of people all around me, some of my teams, other teams. I mean, they are. I mean, they're physically exhausted. Mm-hmm. I think the mental and emotional toll. I mean, you've you've documented this. Um, and I know you and Kenneman have talked about this on Church Pulse Weekly a lot about yeah. those stats. Um, so, and it's that's real. Yeah. And I've even commented to my wife, Sue, I, mean, I, I don't know why it, for sure I'm not it hasn't taken the same kind of toll. I do know there's, I'll show you real quick. Um, yeah, yeah. In my journal. Uh-huh. I don't know if we've talked about this before. I started doing this probably, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. But I write these, uh, did I show you this before? You know, it's vague memory, but go ahead, go there. But I do this thing where I write RPMS on my journal. And, you know, it talks about Jesus grew in wisdom and stature yeah. and gave with God and man. But this relational, physical, mental, spiritual. Mm. And so every morning, it's like this two-minute update I do where I check in and go like, okay, Dave, how are you doing relationally? And I actually give myself a score on a scale of one to 10 relationally, friendships, family, physically. Hey, did you get out and run? Did you lift weights? Did you, physically, how are you doing? Mentally, are you reading stuff? Are you checking in the news, current events? And spiritually, what's going on between you and God? So I give myself a score and I actually even give myself an arrow which way it's trending which is a little, wow. but for me, it kind of keeps me, it, it kind of helps me tell the truth about myself and I think keeps me from drifting. So I think that's been a huge discipline for me every day to do yeah. that, just kind of tell the truth. Um, and I think that's helped, but there's also a part of it that's, I just feel like it's a grace and I'm grateful that, yeah, for some reason, um, yeah. So let's, um, let's go there okay. because I think you're, sure. you're on to something because I think if you're a person of faith, like we are, like you, you know, you are, I am, most of us would say, yeah, the spiritual category is really important, but I'm not sure enough attention gets paid to the other three categories. What does relational health look like to you? 
So on that first category, R, like yeah. I'm scoring that one, that has to do with what's going on between Sue and I, yeah. what's going on between me and the kids, uh, what's going on as far as me and my small group, people that are my close friendship. Am I, am I, am I living in community? Am I investing those relationships? Am I allowing them to invest in me? Right. Right. Okay. But here's, here's one of the challenges of leadership. And I've thought about this sure. a lot because, um, you're often in a giving thing. You lead a very large church. So pre COVID, no, nobody knows exactly. Well, you got new numbers coming back, but like sure. what was 2019? How many people would typically be te- part of uh, your church? Obviously numbers of people would be more, but attendance around 7,000. Yeah. So that's a lot of people, right? And often as a leader, whether you're leading a company, whether you're leading a church, or whether you're leading a team, it feels like everybody wants a slice of you. And it took me years to figure out that a lot of what we'd say, yeah, I'm surrounded by people, but I find it exhausting. It's like, because they're, they're withdrawing from you, but not depositing into you. Right. So right. what does, what does that look like if in, in relational health for you, like, how do you make sure that you've got some deposits, some, some life-giving relationships that kind of offset the, the drain that is leadership? Yeah, that's a great question. I think what happens, I intuitively am always, my bias is I'm always kind of pouring into other people. So that's going to almost happen. Yeah, no I know you what. are. And my gauge though, is probably more about life-giving relationship. The people that give me life, like mm-hmm. my wife, like my kids, like friends, like my small group. Ah, so am those I, are like deposits then. Yeah. Right? Rather yeah, than the withdrawals. People, those people fill me up. Anything outside your small group, your like, do you have a couple of friends you check in with regularly? Do you have, I know it's been weird in the season, but like what, uh, as we move into the post-pandemic world or the endemic world, what, um, like, what would be examples of other, you don't have to name names, but other life-giving relationships? Because I've talked about those with so many psychologists, so many coaches who are like, I've, I've got my own performance coach these days. And he's like, listen, most people in your position are alone. Now I'm not, I got a few relationships I want to build into more, but like most leaders end up with no friends. So what does life, how do you pursue friendships outside of that circle? Probably most of those have been either in this, in a, in a small group setting or hmm, now that you asked the question, I think some of them are actually on our staff team. Yeah. Um, some of them are on my staff team. So there are people who maybe even come up through the church, join the staff. We were friends before and we're still friends. Um, I think, I think that's probably where they are mostly. No, that's good to know. You know, I, I was reflecting with Gordon McDonald uh, recently, yeah. just in a personal conversation, and uh, he'll be back on the podcast this spring. Awesome. But Gordon was saying he's 80, he'll be 82 this year. So wow. he was saying in my generation, we were told we couldn't have friendships with staff. And obviously that's changing. What are, what are some things that have told you, hey, no, this is actually a life-giving relationship? Because I would agree with you, you can have a legitimate friendship with coworkers. I think when you walk away from a dinner and you're, and you feel filled, you walk away from that experience. You go like, yeah, we should keep, we should hang out with them more when you walk. You know what I'm saying? There's other times. Yeah. There's other times where it's necessary and you're, and and you just, you do, it is just, it's, it's draining. Felt like work. Felt like work, right? Well, I like work. So it feels worse than (laughs) worse than work. (laughs) Um, but no, that, yeah. Or, or even sometimes you're going like, yeah. And I can, I can imagine Sue and I in the car or afterwards or something, having a conversation like, yeah, that'd be fun to go on a trip with them. Sometimes those are the conversations you have. Right. 
No, that's that's helpful. That's helpful. Okay, uh, the other one. So you are a runner and you've taken good care of yourself over the years. Anything else you want to say about physical exercise and how important that is? Because everyone's joking about the 10 pounds they put on, 19 pounds they put on over the last year. I've, I've done half that, about five, but yeah, I need to work that off. What, what do you do for your physical health and how is that related to your emotional and mental health? Oh, I can, I can tell a difference. I mean, I, I, I can, if I, if I like, if I skip a day or two, I can, I can feel like I'm almost like doing like this a little <laughs> bit. And if I get out and run, it's just, um, it makes a, it makes a big difference just in how I feel. Um, I had, uh, you know, Wayne Cordero. Oh yeah. So we had, and Wayne wrote that book, you know, lead it on empty. So we had Wayne come and speak to our staff and I was playing Carrie Newhoff. I was interviewing him and, um, and one of the things Wayne said that has stuck with me, he said, in times of crisis, focus on your 5%. And Ooh. he said the five, and it, yeah, that's right. What's the 5%? And the 5% he said, are the things that only you can do. And he said, you know, like only you can be a good husband. Only you can be a good dad. But then he also said, and only you can take care of your body. And he mm. said, when things are crazy and you're in crisis, just focus on the 5%. And um, I think too, the other thing that happens, I think when, you know, I, I mean, I'm not like a physical specimen. I'm in decent shape. But the, the thing is, I think when you're in good shape too, are you, you just feel more confident about your body. You feel more confident about your, yourself. And I think you show up in a different way as a leader. Um, and so I think it also gives you a different kind of confidence too. So that I think that helps. What's a good run for you these days? Um, I almost always will do a 5K and then on the weekends do longer runs. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, as someone who got into running in the last year, 5K is not that much. It seems impossible, but it's actually about 30 minutes for me. It's probably 18 minutes yeah. for you, but it's like 30 minutes for me. And it's not that bad and it's very doable. So are you doing it outside? Are you doing a treadmill? Oh, I hate inside exercise. That's one thing I learned about you're myself. You're like a legit runner. You're a legit runner. Yeah, no, yeah. outside Dude, and the colder, the better. The uh, yeah. If it gets to minus 10, minus 15, like no problem. Bring it, man. I'm sweating by the end of it. So you got your smart wool socks. Oh yeah. Got it all. You got it. You got it. That <laughs> the smart awesome. wool really works. And then once the temperature is <laughs> above freezing, I can do some cycling. So we're more definitely into cycling season at this point, but, uh, yeah, yeah. No, you know, and you're right. It's that 30-minute reset, or for cycling, it's longer. It's more like an hour, hour and a half, but it's kind of fun time. Listen to a podcast, listen to music, listen to nothing, and it's kind of reset my brain. That's what I'm doing after this uh, interview, so it'll be a lot of fun. Well, this is going to sound like I'm sucking up to you, but the truth is, probably what I listen to more than anything else when I run these days, it's either your podcast. I won't be listening to this one because I know I already know what I'm going to say. <laughs> it'll be or great. What said. <laughs> but I, I listen to your podcast or your church pulse weekly. Those are kind of like uh, two of oh, my thank you. top two. And you know, it usually I can get a, yeah, if I'm doing a 5k, I, I can, I can get a church pulse weekly in or I can get a half of a Kerry Newhoff leadership podcast. Well, in. we produce enough content to keep you running for the rest of That's your life. Right. So there, there, you know, and a lot of listeners can, <laughs> can identify with that. I hear that all the time. It's like the commute isn't long enough. So uh, use this to to lose that weight, right? Okay. And then what was the other category? It was uh, emotional or was it emotional? Uh, mental. 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 And, okay. And, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, and mentally for me, it, I, I've kind of morphed this one a little bit. Really, it has to do with how am I growing with as far as my mind, my wisdom, my intellect, that kind of stuff. So what am I reading? Yes. Uh, and a lot of it too. I like to also I don't, I'm still, I'm playing with this one. I I read two or three newspapers just or skim them every morning online uh, just to kind of stay on top of what's going on in the news. Um, 
I don't know if that's a great way to start your day, but I do it. But it does keep me, uh, I feel like, on top of what's happening in the world. And so, like, if I'm not doing that, then I dock myself some points. But if I am doing that, doing okay, you're you're staying on top of things. Yeah. Do you do audio books or uh, paper yep. books yep. or what do you yep. do? Um, probably some of both. I, I'm kind of in transition. I got a, I got, I got an account that I I still have some like I could I could order a lot more. So I do some audio, but I still do some paper too. So yeah. like, uh. Church of Tove. I don't know if you've read Scott McKnight's book. Mm-mm. Oh, interesting book. Yeah. Really do you read mostly in your field? Like is mostly ministry books or leadership yeah, books or do you go yeah. outside your field a lot? Yeah. My kids give me grief. Yeah. They're uh-huh. like, everything you do is leadership or ministry stuff. You ought to read real books. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I do. I kind of, I'm stuck in that genre. I, I occasionally try to get out when I can, but yeah. I can't read fiction. I don't know what that is. I, I got to learn. Okay. That was a really helpful diversion, but I think that speaks to the invigoration. Anything else on invigorated that has helped you? Because, you know, my theory could be wrong is we're going to, we're moving from a pandemic into continued instability and unpredictability. I I don't think it's going to be as crazy as the last year, but like people are behaving in really weird ways and the economy is kind of wobbly and who knows by the time this airs what will happen. But like, I'm not sure that we will have, not that we had certainty before, but I think it's going to feel a lot more tentative, like the ground is going to keep shifting. And, you know, you've emerged out of this relatively strong. Anything else on the agility and the resiliency that you think could speak to leaders in this season? The one thing that I have created some space for, and I wish I would create more space for, is I do think just dreaming. Mm. I read an article on it was a couple weeks ago in the, I think it was in the New York Times, the, uh, George Schultz, who I think he was on the cabinet of both Democrat and Republican parties. He was the secretary of state, I think for Reagan, but he used to call it uh, the George Schultz, they called it the George Schultz hour. And he had a discipline of how he would take at least an hour every week just to dream. He'd go somewhere wow. so that white, and I've been more disciplined at that, I think too, maybe it's because I've been home so much. Um, over the last year. And I think that's helped me lean into some of the things that we're trying to, that we believe are happening as far as innovations and opportunities. Um, but I think that's like you're saying, I think you're right. I think we're, we're in for a lot of instability ahead. And I think if I can continue to do that, and if other leaders continue to do that, especially those that are wired as kind of entrepreneurial, visionary, futurists, um, that makes a big difference. What does that look like for you? The dreaming hour or time that you spend dreaming? Uh, it, it means that I got my iPad here and I'm just, I'm sketching a lot of times I'm, I'm drawing things. Um, just thinking about you, sometimes it'll be specific things like even, and I kind of think organizational, so I'm not sure most people yeah. do that, but, and so it could be boxes and stuff and how I want to structure things, how you move people around. If, if there is a new opportunity, how do I, how do you, how do you start it? How do you then, how do you grow it? How do you scale it? Um, so, I mean, but no, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting leadership habit. I mean, I've read stories of, uh, that's why Lincoln went to the theater. I mean, he was assassinated in the theater, but the demands of leadership were so great. He would just look for something to do. I, I, I seem to remember somewhere listening to an interview with Tony Blair, the former UK prime minister who would go and sit by the lake for hours at a time, just to ponder yes. his thoughts. And uh, our buddy, mutual friend, Jeff Henderson, you know, talks about thinking time, like just put it in your calendar, going to think for an hour, not going to answer email, not going to respond to text. I'm just going to think. 
And I, I call it white space. Like that is really, really helpful. Just the blank space where you can, you can imagine. And so here you are. This is exciting. So what's different? What's the same? Everybody's, everybody's model has changed to some point. So moving forward, um, what do you think is going to be different about the world? And what are you planning as far as church and leadership goes that's going to be a reset for you? I was, remember um, Bob Buford? Yeah, I never knew him, but know the name and who you mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Bob was a, a mentor of mine um, and our mutual friend, Todd Wilson. And he used yeah. to, he had like 10 values. And one of them was he would say, work uh, only with the receptive and only on what's trying to happen. Oh, wow. Work only with the receptive and only what's trying to happen. Whoa. And some of the things, I mean, you've been talking about this on, 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 your, on your podcast and stuff. I think there are some things that are trying to happen. Now, will they happen? I don't know. And I think you're right because we're still, but like the whole digital thing, yeah. I mean, it's not, I shouldn't even say it's trying. I think it's trying to happen for churches. In, in, I, in, I in think that just, happened a while ago. Yeah. yeah. And we're, I think we're it's waking trying up to happen to it. for churches. Yeah. I think yeah. still, I don't think there, I, and I've been tr- doing the homework. I even, we even text back and forth a little bit. And there are only a handful that are really leaning into this in a, in yeah. a full on way. Um, but I think, I do think there's, there's the, the, I think the, yeah. So in, in our discipline in, in, in our, in, in, in the church space where I am, yeah, on Sundays, there's a lot of places that are doing that. They're doing, they're either doing their streaming or they have mm. their own deal on Sunday, but they have the whole Monday through Saturday space that is totally gone unoccupied for the most part. Um, now when we have got it right, like, so example, Last last actually last Sunday, I was at, we just reopened some of our lo- all of our lo- all but one of our locations, and um, I had a lady come up to me. She had her phone in her hand, and she said this to me, and I passed this along to him. She said, "Thank you so much for how you cared for us for the last year." Hmm. And then she started listing all the things we did. She said, "For communityonline.tv, thanks for how you did the on the eights. We did this on the eights, eights in the morning, eight at night deal where we had like a thought to start the day and then like a worship at the end of the day. Thank you for how you did some community cares news. Thank you. And she listed these things we did. And, and then she said, she said, you know, I didn't necessarily access all of them, but then she held her phone up. She said, but I always knew you were there and you were taking care of me. Oh, wow. And it was like, I was like, okay, that's, that's exactly what we need to do. And um, I think when we finally get this thing right and we really understand that what we have, um, with the internet really is, is, a, is a, is an opportunity to really for churches to be truly platform organizations, what you've seen happen, you know, with other, you know, whether it's Airbnb or Uber or Grubhub, whoever it is where you have like, okay, you got Airbnb where you got, okay, someone needs a bed. We can help you find a bed. Or Uber, someone needs a car, we're a platform where we can help you find a car. I think when churches finally shift and get that paradigm and make that happen, I I think the opportunity there, the same way that like Airbnb's outgrown Marriott, what they did in 10 years, it took Marriott a hundred and some years to do. I mean, I think we really could see some some church will outgrow even the Catholic church. Because wow. it scales, it scales so easily, so easily. But the hard part, and you're right, we're in this wobbly, messy middle right now, is for a lot of us, we're, we're stuck kind of on, an, on a Sunday morning paradigm. And if we can get out of that, it's just, I think, huge, huge. I think it's so wanting to happen, as evidenced by the woman's comment to me. Mm-hmm. How, 
Why do you think so many church leaders, and you see this a little bit in business, but especially in the church, are so resistant to digital? Do you have a theory on I that? I'm not even sure they're resistant as much as it is. It's a paradigm. It's a mental paradigm. And I, like right now, even though, so we opened up four weeks ago, right? And I can feel in my own church, the tidal wave of energy shifting from everything we've done for the last, for, for a year, which has been by all accounts, fairly successful shift. You can feel it shifting towards the back to the weekend in the, in the room, even though, still the largest number of people are online. And, and I think, I think there's just a paradigm that we have about how we do things. And we're so used to it. Even after taking a year sabbatical, a year, that was, I don't think people would call that a sabbatical, no, no. a year, a year, a year break mean. from doing business as usual that um, I think, so I don't even know if we're resistant. I think it's just, it's, we're stuck in certain ruts and we keep going back to those same ruts and we, we've got to do something to get out of it. So when you look to the future, and you yeah. mentioned Airbnb, Uber, and that whole idea. And I've written about that. We've talked about that here, where you're right. You you know, if you think about what you've done, you've networked people over the last year when you were digital only. So you got this person in her home, somebody else in their home. You got small groups gathering. And you're the networker. You're the connector making it happen. You're not building places for them to gather. You are connecting them in the places they're already gathered which right. is fundamentally a distributed model of church. So you look ahead three to five years for your church. How do you see your model being differently than just small groups that gather during the week and the big weekend service and a couple of programs here and there? Yeah. Part, part of what we see for the future is we kind of um, look back and a little over a year ago, so we were like one church with multiple locations. Looking ahead, we're saying, okay, we believe we're going to be one church with multiple expressions. Mm-hmm. And particularly, we're looking at four different expressions right now. So one, yes, we have our locations that meet in physical spaces, all right, across Chicago land, in the city, in the suburbs. But then two, we're like, we have community online, which is that not just Sunday, but a Sunday through Saturday kind of experience where you're literally programming where, yes, you have you have a, a, a discipleship a, a a spiritual development tool with you in your pocket yeah. called the iPhone all the time, and then number three, um, we can go into this a little bit too. Is I think micro expressions of the church. So we're getting ready to launch our first what we're calling three C communities, which are micro sites. Um, we're we kind of baited this. We're going we're starting with just five of them. Uh, three are in English, two are in Spanish four in Chicago, one's in Mexico City. And then we got about another, I don't know, about 30, I think 34 or so that are in the pipeline. Um, but I think those, I think that also is something that's trying to happen. Let, let's the uh, stop there for a second and talk sure. about micro expressions because I think you're right. And I mean, you, you have led networks for years and that's what networks are, right? It's like we kind of exist, but we really exist to equip you Tell us more about the five that you're launching in the 30 some odd in the hopper. Yeah. I think, I think one, one of the, we look, we look, I think for a long time, us in the, in the East, we've looked, I'm sorry, us in the West, we looked to the East and we said, you know, in places in church, in the church world, in places like India and in, in China, um, I'm thinking of a, a woman named B3 in Uganda or a, a, who have, 
started these networks of small expression of church that have rapid, ra- rapidly multiplied. Hmm. And we and with great envy, we said, how do we get to movement? Where predominantly, whether in the Western world, we've had kind of a launch large strategy, which is which is costs a lot of money and isn't really very scalable. Hmm. But we still have the same desire to get to movement. And what I think this does is I think it finally gives us the opportunity as the world gets smaller, we can learn from those folks. And I think also the pandemic also helps this. We can talk about that if you want, is I think people are looking for smaller contexts, feel more comfortable in smaller contexts. And I think that's created more of an environment for these smaller expressions. So for us, these three C communities are smaller expressions of church that are being launched where you live, where you work and where you play. Mm. And what we've done is we've taken kind of the horsepower of a large church. So we have great creative content around teaching. We call it a big idea that, that has, you know, you want it, you want a manuscript. Do you want a, a video? Uh, you want small group leader training. You want small group discussion guides. We got all, we, we will provide that for you. In addition to that, we'll give you a coach. And then, like you said, we also will put you, group you with other uh, 3C community leaders. So it's a network there. So you can kind of learn from each other and grow with each other. And we feel like there's a ton of potential. And the thing we're finding is it's infinite. I think it's infinitely scalable. Yeah. Which that's the part that excites me as, as someone who's you know, pretty passionate about movements. So this is the point at which those of you who are listening should go and listen back to that last five minutes. Cause I think you're really onto something. Um, looking to the East, because you're right, when you look at non-North American or non-Western European type experiences, they've scaled, the church has grown a lot faster there. It's been a lot more organic. It's been a lot more uh, truly viral, like moving from person to person to person in the best sense of that word. And then here, you're right. Our whole model has been gather a whole bunch of people in a box that we own or that we lease and try to get them to show up at a set time in a set place. And so instead, you're flipping it on its head and you're releasing people. Now, you know, one person would say, I think one of the things that did happen over the last year is, you know, there's the Barna stat. We've both seen that two or one out of five, 20% of all Christians have basically left the church over the last year, just like not attending anything in person or online. So that's kind of gone. But you probably also have under that some micro expressions that are not tethered to anybody. It's just, yeah, I watch the yellow box from my house, but you don't know who I am and I don't know who you are. So you're not talking about the hyper-individualized, I'm my own person, I'm doing my own thing. You're talking about like resourcing them the way you would small groups or how are are you staffing for these microsites and these micro gatherings? So what we're actually doing is, so we're, we're providing them a coach, but they're, but it's all volunteer. So it'd be like you care. You're going like, you know what? I got, um, a, a, a network of friends where I, where I work out and we don't, every Tuesday after we work out, there's, you know, 25 of us, we get together and we, we have our own church expression of church there. And it might be something, there's a teaching. It might be something that it's around. There's also a community expression, but there's also a lot around mission so you have all of those three components that happen actually right there. Rather than an individual consumption experience, it's it really yeah. is collective and communal. Are those coaches volunteer? Are they part of your staff? How, how are you, they how would are you be, structuring they, that? At this point, they at this point they're part of our staff, but I could see them in the future being also being volunteer. But at this right. point, we have to we want to get the first generation kind of trained. And let's be honest too. I mean, we're making this up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, isn't now, that what planting and launching is all about? We're all making it, it up. And now 
I'm fortunate through new thing and also through exponential. I have a lot of connections with people across the country and then in other parts in the East. And yeah. so, cause new thing now, there's our church planning network that I lead. We're in 40 countries. And so we're bringing those people in to teach us. And that's been immensely helpful. Any, any top learnings, like two or three learnings from what you're learning from the rest of the world that you think are, are helpful to share? Well, I mean, two things come to mind real quick. One is for those that are really seeing uh, rapid reproduction, one is a, within the infrastructure of that network is apprenticeship. Mm. So, or in the church world, we always call it discipleship too. So, I mean, you, you, you do the thing, but you also bring someone alongside you who is learning with you, who is getting ready to do the same thing that you're doing, you know, a year from now, and then you release them to do that. That. I'm I'm thinking of Sam Stevens. I don't know if you know Sam or not. Have you met Sam? No, no, I don't. Oh my goodness, Sam. Sam. Sure. So he's first time. Like, got a quick story. Yeah. First time. First time I meet Sam, he shows up um, at one of our locations. You referenced called the Yellow Box. Yeah. And my assistant Pat says, "Hey, you got an appointment with Sam?" I'm like, "Sam who?" And she's like, "Um, I don't know, but he's from India." And I said, "Pat, I'm kind of giving her a hard time. Yeah. You're, you know, you make my schedule. How come you don't know who's?" who I'm meeting with. And she says, well, he's downstairs. So you better go talk to him. <laughs> she's a tough, she's a tough lady. <laughs> Pat's great. Yeah. Right. So I go downstairs, I put on my happy face. I meet Sam and uh, I said, tell me your story. So he starts telling me, he says, well, um, my dad started a church planning ministry um, back in the sixties. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And he said, and he's, to date he's planted about 200 or through the nineties, he planted about 200 churches. Well, then he tells me the story about how his dad kind of suddenly died. And the last thing that his dad says to him is, son, don't lose the vision. He takes over this ministry and he makes two changes, two significant changes. And one of them, he says, I ask all of our church planners every year to apprentice somebody, bring someone alongside you that you're training up. It's going to reproduce what you're doing. And then the second thing is every month I put them in local networks. And in these local networks, they basically kind of review their goals. They have lunch together. And then I give them some added value training. So they do those three things. And, and I said, so how's it going since then? So again, I don't know this guy really from anybody. And he goes, well, pretty good. He's a super humble guy. I'm pulling it out of him. And then I said, well, how's it going? He said, well, so far we've planted about 70,000 churches. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, What? And I think I must, I must, he must've thought I wasn't impressed. Cause then he goes like, oh, but we're planning on planting a hundred thousand churches. And well, his name's Sam Stevens. He's the president of India gospel league. And, um, I was with Sam, oh, not too long ago on a zoom call and they've now planted more than a hundred thousand churches. Unreal. But the, but the key two the two key things there was, okay, how do you bring someone alongside you to show them what you're doing so they can do it and then put them in a local network where you review your goals, you eat together, so you're like friends. Hmm. And then you, I, we give them added value training so they leave as better leaders than when they came. And so we're leaning into people like that going like, okay, how do we reproduce that here? That's amazing. Okay, I want to I wanna test this with you, Dave. See if it's true, because you just connected a few dots for me. It feels like the traditional North American model, and I think this is probably true of churches, it could be true of other organizations as well, is the pastor is trying to have a relationship, no matter what size, with the people who are watching or participating in the service. In other words, I'm going direct to you. And it feels like maybe the digital leap that we've made to consumption 
is like, no, I am speaking to you. So we look at, you know, you get a thousand YouTube views, you get 10,000, a hundred, whatever it is, whatever number is, is right for you. And you're like, oh, great. We just need to grow that. But you bypass the whole infrastructure. There's no discipleship. There's no accountability. There's no coaching. There's no networking. There's no connection. There's no any of that. And, and what I sense you're talking about is, no, we're going to build a structure around that so that it isn't just random dude at home watching service. It's like, no, you are intricately connected, being developed, and being mobilized to do more. Am I am I onto something there? Like, is it? Is yes. It, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think absolutely, because where, what we've talked about, I think, yeah, digital is the new future. Micro is the new mm. future. The thing that stays the same, I think, is what you're touching on, is relationships. Yeah, yeah. And, and. And and we've got to find ways to get people connect connected one another because relationships are transformational. So if I can give them Carrie Newhoff podcast content or Dave Ferguson content or whatever the content is that's you know good relevant teaching, but it's in the context of those relationships that will produce life change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's really good. I, I'm I'm so grateful. I think that's worth the price of admission. What you just shared about. Uh, developing the network around that because I think we think of church as a TV show that we're watching on Netflix or uh, you know a movie that we saw or a YouTube video where we really don't have a creator and it's individualized like there's a content creator that's what I'm trying to say but there's an individualized consumption experience and what you're talking about is adding the network and the infrastructure to really make it communal and to make it grow which I think is good um, okay I want to I want to poke your brain on this and the church pulse weekly podcast the other one i had you on with david kinneman and you shared the concept i don't think it was unique unique to you but i heard about it from you for the first time so i want to pick up on that about green light yellow light and red light people after the pandemic can you explain that paradigm and then talk about now that we're moving into post-pandemic era whether any of that is still applicable i'd love to know more yeah this probably came out of one of those kind of times where I got away and started kind of dreaming, going like, okay, help me make sense out of this thing. Um, I think when we talk about people, we can categorize them into those categories of red light people, yellow light people, or green light people. Now, mm. during the pandemic, red light people were those people who were at risk. Mm. Um, and to a certain extent, because of certain things, my wife might've been in that category. And so she was kind of like, no, nah, you know what? I'm pretty much going to just stay at home and ride this thing out. And so red light, I'm not going, I'm stopping. During the pandemic, you also have the yellow light people who are kind of, who are cautious, who they would, their, their circle is very small. They, they might have a handful of people they would connect with, maybe neighbors, maybe it is a small group, that kind of thing. Yellow light people, cautious. Then you have green light people who are like, <laughs> what pandemic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mask, <laughs> mask, forget it. I'm just you behaving as normal. Right. I I can't do that. It makes me, you know, and there's some people who just really just made them, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't do it. I think some of those things that were maybe a necessity or options during the pandemic, I think post-pandemic are now also going to shift to be preferences. Yeah. So I think there's going to be red light people who Maybe for some of them, it was they were at risk, but also there's going to be red light people, I think, going forward are going to be, you know what, I'm going to just stick really close to home because they like having their Peloton in the basement. Mm. They like, they, and so I'm not going to the club anymore. Yep. I like, I like, um, I like working from home. I didn't realize I could do this. I am more productive. I mean, I think, I don't know if I'll keep doing it the way I have been, but I have been more productive Mm. than I was before. 
Um, I've also saved a ton of money. I don't eat out all the time. Like, it's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, some people are going to be more readily, I think, are going to be out of preference. And I think then uh, for preference too, some people are going to discover, you know what? We did a watch party in our, in our, in our backyard or, and spending more time with just a few neighbors. And those relationships have grown closer. And I, I, I like that quality of life, a closeness with just a handful of people. And so they're going to continue as a preference to do that. I think one of the things that both businesses and I think churches are going to have to decide is, okay, who are we catering to? Right. Is it green light people, yellow light people, or red light people? Or in kind of a hybrid kind of model, are you going to try to do all and how do you actually do that? And, um, and so for us at community, that's one of the things we're attempting to do when we, so when we talk about community online TV and we talk about our locations and we talk about these micro expressions, essentially we're talking about is kind of red, green, and yellow light people. And how do we actually reach them? And here's what the other thing's going to happen. So I just broke them up into categories. It's actually going to be more fluid than that mm. because you're going to be, I'll, I'll use you for example. Let's say you're a part of my church. Carrie's a part of my yeah. church. You, um, you're going to show up at the yellow box one Sunday because you're going like, yeah, you know what? Um, I'm excited about it. You know, let's go, let's go to church this week. And you, so you show up there, but then the next week you're traveling to New York. So you're in New York over a weekend and you're going, there's no way to be there. So you're going to actually, it'll be more like the red light. You're actually check in online. Mm -hmm. And so you'll be a part of our online experience. Uh, the next week, it might be maybe you're actually in a in a 3C community or you're in a small group, rather. You're in a small group and they're going like, hey, let's have a watch party. And so you're busting out your grill, right? And you're going like, hey, everybody come over to my place. We'll catch, we'll catch the content on the big screen and we'll have a brunch afterwards. And so it's more yellow light. And I think that's probably more typical what's going to happen is I think one person is going to, by preference, pick, you know, what they want based on lifestyle, based on situation, based on whatever is going on in their life at the time. I don't know that you've seen this or not, but some of the leaders I've been talking to, I think people have categories and you're right. They might switch from weekend to weekend, or it might be like, Hey, when it comes to a football game, I'm a green light person, but for some reason, you know, I don't feel safe going to your church, Dave, or yeah. I don't feel safe in person dining or going to the gym or I don't want to go to the gym anymore. So it feels like people are, are cherry picking a little more, a little more picking and choosing. Like uh, I talked to one guy who's down like 20% and the state is wide open. And he's saying, well, people, people just aren't comfortable coming back to church, but we think they will. And I'm like, well, are they not comfortable going to theaters? Now they're going to theaters. Are they not comfortable going to sporting events? Now they're going to sports things. They're going to games. So maybe they just decided we're not doing church anymore. Like, you know, there's that weird thing where I think people are picking and choosing. Any comments, thoughts on that? Do you think that people are going to be like, it's just, it's really interesting because, you know, I'm thinking of gym owners, restaurant owners, uh, people who are trying to keep their retail franchise alive as well as, as church leaders. And there are some people who maybe are just like, no, I'm going to go to the game, but I'm going to do my shopping online. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah. And, and like, with let's say a target as a store. Yeah. So you have all the same obvious options with target. I mean, you can either go to the store and go around and mull around throughout the store if you want, or you can call them ahead of time. And by the time you get to the parking lot, they will actually bring it right out to you because mm -hmm. you don't really want to go in. You kind of want a hybrid experience <laughs> or you can stay at home and you can order it online and it'll get delivered in, you know, in two days. And to me, if I'm that, if I'm that church leader though, and Target is seeing, you know, the same number of people come in the store 
while they're doing all those other experiences and I'm not seeing the same number of people, that would be a warning sign to me like, hey, something's not right. So if the theaters are filling up and the churches aren't filling up, if the restaurants are filling up and the churches aren't filling up, that's that's a signal to the church that, okay, there's a problem here. And people are being polite to you. Right. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Right. Um, anything else on networks and the power of networks? Well, if we jump ahead to one of the things we're discovering through Exponential, uh, which um, I'm president of the Exponential Conference and I work with Todd on all, Todd Wilson mm-hmm. on that. We're big advocates on what we call level five churches and explain that paradigm briefly. Level one are churches in decline. Level two are churches that are have plateaued. Level three are churches that are starting to grow. But then the two categories we're most interested in are level four, reproducing churches. So churches that ever started a site or planted a church. And then level five, really churches that are multiplication, moving towards movement. Within that paradigm, we're trying to push churches to think about level four and level five, not just growing, but reproducing and multiplying. What we're discovering is unless a church itself is a part of a network, it's hard for them to get past level four. Oh, wow. It's, it's by far the exception. And even if they do get past level four and they do get to level five, it's because they moved into some form of networking. And so in our work with New Thing, which is the church planning movement that I provide vision for, yeah, we have you know 380-some networks, but basically what we're trying to do is how do we get churches in networks around this idea of planting more churches together? Because that's how we get to reproducing multiplication faster. So we're, I yeah, we're absolutely convinced. I, th- I think there's a theological premise behind this too that's really important. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, networking is a is is crucial to movement. How is it different from denominations, which I think you could argue 100, 200 years ago were networks, right? Yeah. Now when I use the term network. And there's different ways you can use it. So we talked about networks like with the microchurch. Those are really small. And even when the kind of networks that we're starting through new thing typically will be anywhere from five to seven churches in a network. Um, network also gets used in the term of like a larger kind of conglomeration of networks. Hmm. And that's kind of, I think, what more what you're referencing. I, I, yeah, I think denominations are what used to be networks, but have kind of become codified and, um, and more rigid. And even so what we're seeing now where you have denominations that maybe the authority still, if you're thinking organizationally runs north and south and here's where the power is, a lot of them, their church already are in networks. And you might, if you're organizing, run east and west where the real influence in those those churches are coming from networks that they're a part of either locally Mm. or even nationally. Wow. And, you know, Mark Sayers has some really interesting things. He shared them on this podcast and Church Pulse Weekly and also on his own Rebuilders podcast about networks. So if you want to drill down on that, it's interesting. But technology has really enabled that virtual relationship and you don't need hierarchies anymore to make the connections happen. It's fascinating. Okay. Other one other big cultural shift that's happened over the last year is obviously the concern for justice and everything. And you recently co-authored a piece in the Harvard Business Review. Uh, tell us a little bit about about that and that focus as you try to make a difference in the the wider world. Well, the background is a little bit of a story. It was uh, right after the George Floyd murder. Mm. Um, I took our. Uh, creative team down to the south side of Chicago with a friend of mine, Quentin Mumphrey, who's in my local network, getting the power of networks. And we 
my church is predominantly white, not exclusively, but it is predominantly white. His is a, almost, I think maybe entirely African-American church. And I wanted my church to hear what was going on from his African-American experience. And he was brilliant. Coming out of that, and then even being involved in uh, one of the marches in Chicago, thanks to invitation from my friend Ricky Brown, who's another guy in our network, our network Chicago, um, just had the feeling like, okay, there's there's got to be something more we could be doing here. And so it was in my small group. I had a conversation with Eddie Yoon. Eddie's a guy, super bright guy in my small group. who He, he writes quite a bit for the Harvard Business Review. And he said that the thing, in his opinion, that we really had that would be the game changer is um, minority families need access to capital. Mm. And then he started explaining to me some things that I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of. So for example, in the U S the average net worth of a white family is about $171,000 where the average net worth of an African American family is $17,000. Wow. A tremendous inequity there. And, and, and a huge part of that has to do with home ownership. Right. So then he explains, he said, he, he started doing some homework on this. And what he discovered was that in 2010, there were about 40 uh, black-owned banks, only 40 black-owned banks in all the U.S. By 2019, that, that, that had dropped to 16, only 16 black-owned banks in the U.S. Wow. Now, and when you do the homework on the amount of assets, those black-owned banks only had net assets of $5 billion. Which might sound like a lot of Sounds money. Sounds like a lot of money, but in the context of banking. Right. Which majority owned banks over $17 trillion. And those majority owned banks would only loan about 1% of all their assets, 1% of all their assets to African American families for mortgages or businesses, while the minority owned banks, the black owned banks, loan 67%. Mm. Now, again, just throw another number at you, and I hope these aren't too many. But while those majority-owned banks are only loaning 1% of their assets to African-American families, African-Americans make up 13% of the population. Yeah. Now, there's, there's historical reasons for why African-American communities don't trust a lot of banks because of uh, some abuse and wrongs in, in the past. But out of that whole thing, it was Eddie's idea. Eddie was like, hey, if there was a way that we could just get, you know, churches, businesses, and individuals to open accounts in black owned banks just because, okay, 67%, they do such a much better job of getting the money to black families for mortgages and black businesses for, for capital. We could, we could make a big difference. Wow. And he, because he has his pulse in this thing too, he began to discover that there were some businesses already starting to do this. I mean, Netflix and Twitter and PayPal. I mean, I think Netflix and Twitter both put a hundred million, moved a hundred million dollars into black owned banks. So we put, so at community Christian, um, you know, we have some money that were, were for facilities and for other things that were in savings. So we moved a million dollars into black owned banks. Now, one of the things that your listeners would want to know too, these banks are all FDIC insured. Yeah. So you can move up to a quarter million dollars. And even if that bank for some, you know, godforsaken reason would collapse and go under on Friday, you could have your money back on Monday. And um, so new things done this Crossroads Church in Cincinnati, you know, familiar with Crossroads Church, great church. They've done this. Uh, Willow Creek, I've been talking to Dave Dummett up there. They're, they're in the process of doing this. Smaller churches, uh, Madison Church yeah, up in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, there's a number of church organizations across the country are now starting to do this thing called Justice Deposits. And what it is, 
it is this just tremendous kind of nonpartisan, <laughs> um, high impact, but low risk way that you can really make a difference. And uh, so we've been really just challenging both in our church, in our through our networks, and pretty much anybody I can get a, to listen to me uh, to say, hey, what if you did this? Uh, Sue and I have done it. Our church has done it. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, uh, the kind of the momentum that it's already getting. Yeah, and you probably don't need a million dollars or certainly a hundred million dollars to make a difference, right? No, I mean, I opened up a little account, and so Sue and I moved just a little bit of money over there because it's kind of like, no, this it's a value. I want to I want to be a part of this. That's really cool. Uh, do you have a website or like what's the easiest way for people to figure out how to do that in their community? Yeah, um, if you want, right now it's sitting on our church's website. And we're getting ready to move it, but if you go to communitychristian.org/justice-deposits, communitychristian.org/justice-deposits, there is all kinds of information plus the Harvard Business Review article and even some other ways we can we can help you find out which banks maybe are closer to you or which ones would work for you because we've been doing homework on that to make it as easy as possible for people. That's amazing. Um, I want I wanted to make sure we touched on that. So Dave, as, as we wrap up today, there is a tendency, and I think some of that is basically overwhelm, like leaders are just tired, they're exhausted, kind of where we started. Some of it is, oh, please just tell me the old way works. And when it comes to justice deposit, when it comes to doing the weekend service, the old model, like those people will eventually leave their Pelotons and come back to the gym, right? Like it's it's easier just to put your head in the sand and pretend none of this change has happened. And I hear from leaders in that vibe every day. What would you say to a leader who's like, man, Dave, I love your energy level, but I I just want to pretend we're all going back to the way it used to be. What what would you say to that leader? Oh man. I mean, first of all, I mean, I, I hopefully I'd put my arm around him. <laughs> yeah. So this is in love. This is in give love. A, give, a look, give a little love and uh, maybe check in. Hey, you doing okay? And then I think you have to tell them the truth and love. No, it's not going back. It's not mm-hmm. going back. And if you're going to lead, then you're going to have to lead in a different way. Or maybe you just, maybe you need to find something else to do. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's not. N- none of those categories you described. It, we're not, we're, we're not turning around. Every, things are going to become more and more digital. Things are going to become more and more micro. We're going to push into racial reconciliation, racial solidarity. It's not yeah. going back. And some of those things um, aren't just business things. Some of those things are justice things. They shouldn't go back. Mm. Yeah. 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 And there's a difference. You know, I, I'm reminded a mentor of mine, he died 20 years ago, but he kind of took me under his wing and he was in his seventies, late seventies. His name is George Cunningham. And I remember him telling me a story. We had a lot of change to do in the church. And of course, when you're 30, you want to change everything, right? So that's, it's pretty easy. Um, But he told me about his dad was a grocer in a small town. And I don't think I've told the story before, but I remember it like he told it to me yesterday. And he said in the 1920s, so this is like a hundred years ago, his dad had a, a little grocery store and they were small independent shops. And he said, you used to go and the grocer, it's almost like curbside pickup now. The grocer would like bag your groceries for you. So you go in and the Fergusons want 10 apples and two oranges and some bananas and some oats and, you know, whatever else, some meat, whatever else you're getting. But the grocer would do all that work for you, bag up your groceries. And, you know, the Fergusons are off and they're set for a couple of days. But this new supermarket idea came in. And the supermarket was, no, you go and serve yourself. So the apples are all there and you pick out your apple. And he was so opposed to it. And he said, 
Why would anyone want to pick their own stuff up when a grocer could do it for you? It doesn't make any sense. And he just dug his heels in and he lost his business. And it's a little bit of a parable for me on change because, of course, by the time, you know, I was born, you were born, what do our parents do? They go to supermarkets. Nobody had a grocer. Now we're getting into a bespoke thing where maybe you could do that again or it gets delivered or or whatever. But but it's such a parable and change for me that George shared with me when I was like a 20-year-old, 30-year-old leader. I just, I thought it was really interesting. And I think we're in one of those moments where... There's a lot of reasons for doing it the way you used to do it uh, because you're like, well, why would anyone want to do it? Why wouldn't people want to gather? Why wouldn't people want to come here? But, you know, that green light, yellow light, red light stuff, really, really helpful filter for me. I, I think about that all the time since we first had that conversation. So, Dave, if people want to track with you, and I know they will, tell us where they can find you online and uh, anything else you want to share. It's funny when you told that story, it made me think of a mentor too. Oh yeah. Uh, Lyle Schaller. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Never knew him, yeah. but read his books. Yeah. Yeah. Actually lived in the, lives in the same town that I live in. Wow. And he, he would always say it this way and it kind of builds on what you were saying. He'd say, well, if tomorrow is 1976, everything should be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. If you want to track with me. Yeah. I mean, DaveFerguson.org is my, is my website and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, all, all the, all the stuff. Or lately on Clubhouse. You've been checking out Clubhouse? You know, I'm, I'm, this is interesting. So I'm not the guy who doesn't want to change. I've got like almost 2,000 followers on Clubhouse. I joined a couple nice. months ago, but I haven't done anything on it. Oh, you need to try it out. Yeah, it's, yeah. Are you enjoying it? What are you liking most about Clubhouse? It, it, I, I like that it's like you step into the space and all of a sudden you're talking, you're just having like real conversations. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And they're, they're so they're not recording it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, which is kind of nice too, because like right now I want to, you know, I want to say the thing because I know lots of people are going to listen to it, but there's, you're kind of like in the moment, just having real conversations. Like after the Atlanta deal, um, I was in a group with a number of uh, Asian people who were just lamenting what was happening. Mm. And it was good for me as a white person. It gave me ability to actually be in the space, hear them talk about it, hear their prayers and even feel their pain. Um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating tool. You know, I got to jump into it. Maybe I'll replace some of my media time because the the challenge for Clubhouse with me, what I love about podcasting is you and I have, you know, hour, hour and a half conversation by the time we're done and it scales, right? It's that whole scale issue. It's yep. like, so a small investment, meaningful, like I prepare and everything and, you know, but it, it's going to be listened to for years at this point by tens of thousands, if not in some cases, a hundred thousand leaders will listen to a conversation, right? So it, yep. It scales, it's a good use of time and and it produces a return. One of the things I'm really trying to do is not swap time that doesn't reproduce. You know, I'm launching a book, I'm doing a bunch of stuff, a book reproduces. Yeah. So that's a one it, thing. It may not be a good investment for you then. Yeah. I, I find it fascinating, but it, so in that regard, that may not be a good investment. Yeah, but I mean, like people like Adam Grant, Malcolm Gladwell are on it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm paying attention cool. to what's going on there. Maybe I'll be an interloper. And maybe by the time this airs, I'll be like, on Clubhouse, I don't know. So I'm Are there, we, but in the background. You could open up a you could open a room, and we could invite. We could have a conversation in Clubhouse and see well, how it I goes. I thought about doing like an an addendum to this podcast, where if we were recording this, we go into Clubhouse after, and we just kind of record on either end and have a conversation with some listeners, and kind of add that as a second dimension to the podcast, which could be more interactive and does scale. But that's about as far Ooh. as my thinking has gotten. All right, we'll have to dream on that one. I don't know. 
I got to figure it out. But that's good. So you're on Clubhouse too. So you should follow Dave, not me. Okay, on Clubhouse. That's awesome. Dave, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. Thanks, Gary. I don't know why, but it just never gets old talking about the future in all of its dimensions for me. Because guess what? It's arriving daily. And you know the stat. I mean, something like 70 to 90% of all businesses fail. Same with church plants. And often that's, you know, there's a variety of circumstances behind that. But often the cause is you're planting something the world either doesn't understand or uh, you haven't connected with them somehow. So anyway, we're going to continue to bring you conversations from a variety of perspectives on this. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend, uh, share it on social media, hit up Dave on Instagram. We have everything for you in the show notes, including transcripts. So if you want to like double click, they're searchable. You can do that. It's free. You can get it at kerryneuhoff.com forward slash episode 415. I've got a what I'm thinking about segment coming up in just a moment. And I'm going to talk about, well, <laughs> the future. Okay. A little bit more about how to position yourself for that. And uh, first though, I want to tell you about what's coming up on the podcast. We have a number of guests. Simon Sinek is up soon. I know so many of you have been so excited for that conversation. Tony Morgan, Christine Kane. Uh, Allison Fallon, Amy Edmondson, who else have we got? Louis Giglio, um, David Allen from Getting Things Done is coming up later this year. And next episode, we have Phil Cook. So Phil is someone I met online a few years ago. He has produced TV and films in more than 100 countries. His work has been featured on all major media. And he talks about, well, what you need to do in this digital age. Here's an excerpt. I'll say this and I'll shut up about it by population. You know, the largest country on the planet is Facebook. Hmm. And, and my question, my question is often who's sending missionaries to that country. Who, who's yeah. planning churches in that country. Uh, what I'd like to do if, if people don't listen to anything else I say on this, this, this broadcast, I think if I could get people to, to not just think about missions in terms of geographical boundaries, but start thinking about missions in terms of digital boundaries, Wow, what an impact we could make in the world. So I think there's a case for at least getting out there and experimenting and see what could happen. That's coming up next episode. If you subscribe, you get it absolutely automatically. And now it's time for what I'm thinking about. And surprise, surprise, I am thinking about the future. So what I want to talk to you about today is how you can position your organization to do its mission outside the building. So the church world has been hit hard by this. The whole idea that everything that we do depends on what happens in the building is sort of disappearing. You know, the pandemic suspended it for months or in some cases a year or more. Now everyone's rushing back to the building. But here's what you're going to miss if you do that. Okay, there have been some trends and I would encourage you to forget about the pandemic for a moment and look at some long-term trends. In the case of church world, regular church attendance has been declining for decades. Actually, you can make the argument statistically for a generation. And what COVID did was accelerate those trends. So ask yourself in the church or in your industry, whatever you're doing, have there been historic trends? Has it just been harder and harder and harder? I know when I started in ministry, I felt like I put one part effort in and got 10x results. And uh, these days it feels more like 10x effort and 1x result. And when you're in that place, it's probably a sign that you need a new model. So some of these things that you're feeling right now are historic trends. So second thing is, Attendance is a big goal for people, right? You talk about an NFL sports team, you talk about a restaurant, you want to pack out the place, right? Hotel, what do you need? You need occupancy. Well, the way you get that, we used to try to drive attendance, but I believe, and I've been talking about this for years, that engagement will be the new church attendance. So rather than saying, hey, come visit us, 
engage your people, get them engaged with you. There are a variety of ways to do that. We talk about that all the time over at kerryneuhoff.com. But if you're obsessing with attendance, just put that aside for a day and say, how can we engage people? How can we serve the people who we're reaching online and the people that we're reaching in the building? And how can we stay connected with them? Because that will get you much further. Third, you have to realize that as culture changes, so does the paradigm. And I believe in the future, churches that equip Christians will eclipse churches that gather them. And so if you've got a mission that really enables and empowers your people, we're moving into a decentralized kind of anti-institutional world. And the institutions that will rise are the institutions that have the power to network people, the power to really pull people together for a common cause where they can do wherever they are. So if you think of yourself as a gathering organization, it's probably going to be a harder future. If you think of yourself as an equipping organization, it will probably be a better one. Um, Another thing to remember is your online attendance will outpace your in-person attendance. So, you know, I run a digital company and this year we're seeing leaders access our content between, well, one and a half and two million times a month. That's a lot of contact points. Now, where's my company? In my basement. What is the podcast? Well, it's this microphone and my computer, and I have a distributed team. There is no building. There is no footprint. You can have a massive impact, massive impact, if you're just focusing on how you can reach people digitally. And, you know, I've, I've been able to do that over the last few years. And I even myself, I'm astounded with the results and the impact and the influence that can happen. I would suggest you put just as many resources into your online expression as you do to any physical expression. And some of you run digital organizations like I do. You totally get that. But for those of you making the transition from analog to digital, in person to digital, I'll tell you, there is a lot of promise and a lot of experimentation. I feel like I'm still dipping my toe in the ocean of what it means to (laughs) have an impact online. And then the fifth thing to think about, so many of, uh, so much of church world, but also so much of, of what we do is sort of live events, right? So we're like, hey, I want you to be there Sunday at nine, or you need to be there Thursday at seven for dinner, or don't miss your Friday morning workout. When you can see with Peloton and other things that are industry changing, on demand is really where it's at, right? How did Netflix grow up? It's like, uh, oh, you need to be here at Thursday at 10 to watch this show. It's no, you want to watch it Thursday at 3 a.m., watch it. You want to watch it Friday. You want to binge watch it. It doesn't matter. None of you are listening to this podcast the second it's released. It's released at 12.01 a.m., I think Central Time on a Tuesday. But there's five of you listening to it. Some of you are listening to it same day. Thousands of you will listen to it on the day it's released, which is a Tuesday. Some of you are listening, I'm going to guess, in 2024, if we're all still around on this planet. And you're like, oh, that was four years ago. It didn't matter. It was still kind of relevant to me. See, on demand is more important than live streaming. So if you have uh, an organization, a church or any organization that really relies on be here at this time to experience this event, it just really doesn't work anymore. So make your stuff available on demand and, you know, away you go. You'll give your content a much longer life. Really hope that helps. Thanks so much for listening. Can't wait to come back next time with a fresh episode. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.